employee assistance programs are very inexpensive. I mean, of course, if you're offering unlimited access to an online psychologist, that's another story that can add up very quickly, but there's a big range. So that's what I'm saying is that don't be afraid to look into it. There's a variety of solutions and there can be that sweet spot for you and your business. That's Jana Ricciardi, co-founder and practice leader of Vita Assure, a Canadian brokerage firm that specializes in employee benefits for small and medium-sized enterprises in Quebec and Ontario, Canada. Jana has 20 years of experience working with the payroll, HR, and finance departments to create employee benefit plans that take into account the changing demands of the workforce. You are listening to Dear Human Resources, and I'm your host, Marie-Lane Germain. In this episode, Jana is going to talk about how to modernize benefits by adopting technology and how foreign businesses with teams in Canada can offer competitive employee benefits. Jana will also talk about ways to care for employees who suffer from anxiety and depression. Welcome, Jana. Thanks so much for having me. So you are passionate about employee benefit plans and making sure, if you will, that they are not outdated. What are the signs that an employee benefit plan is outdated? Yes, definitely passionate about benefits, although it's not a very glamorous field. I have learned throughout the years that having a good plan can make all the difference when there's an employee that's distressed or going through a health issue. And so I did make a conscious decision a few years ago to make sure that the plans were remaining relevant throughout the years. So there's different things that I look at when I'm trying to see, you know, is your plan outdated? Is it really meeting the current needs? But there's a few themes that I think are really important, two in particular. So first, if your plan is not addressing mental health and like at least to a minimum, that's a big red flag. I mean, I know we hear about mental health a lot. We're talking about it a lot, but there's a reason it's a leading cause of disability. And even employees that don't end up on sick lead, there's a higher rate of, you know, frequent sporadic absences or, you know, being at work, but not productive. So the plans nowadays, they can't focus just on the physical. There has to be some support for mental health. That's a big thing. The other thing that I'm really looking at is being proactive versus reactive. So focusing on prevention. So we know that the bulk of the claims are coming from chronic conditions. So at least the repeat claims. So what's a chronic condition? You know, we, we talk about diabetes, uh, heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, cholesterol. What a lot of people don't realize is that these conditions can be mostly contained, like controlled, sorry, by our lifestyle choices. So things like, you know, adopting better eating habits, sleeping regularly, more physical activity, managing stress, you know, we know these things are important, but I think that most of us don't realize the extent to which it can, you know, save you the hassle of ending up on medication or or actually, you know, prevent you from having to increase your dosage of medication. So education nowadays is a key part of the benefit programs and providing tools and support to help managing those conditions. These are two important things that I look at. So you have some ideas on how to modernize benefits by adopting technology 
and new market solutions. Can you expand a little bit on that? One of the benefits of technology advancement is that the industries of fintech and uh, insurtech have really uh, exploded, right? So what do I mean by that? There's a lot more businesses or startups that are technology-based, but focusing in on the insurance, finance, and healthcare sectors. In parallel to that, there's a lot of what I call non-insure providers that are focusing especially on wellness. So I think that employers have a lot more choice nowadays of vendors. There's a lot more niche providers out there for all kinds of different things. Anything you're looking for is out there. So on on the one side, that's great. You know, you have access to all these new technologies. Of course, it could be daunting. And, you know, sometimes too much choice is is not a good thing either. You want to make sure you're choosing uh, reputable vendors as well. But what I like to do is really encourage employers to uh, use the data that's made available to them. So whenever we have group insurance plans in place, that tr- translates to you know huge amounts of aggregate data that you can slice in so many ways to kind of pinpoint you know what what really are the the health concerns or the issues that my employees are facing, and then and of course technology can help with analyzing that data as well. But that can help us pinpoint like what's the top concern or what's the top two, three priorities where I want to emphasize, and maybe I can go out to the market and, and access some of these vendors, or these technologies to uh, to address that. You, d- you don't want to overload it either, because then it just becomes confusing. But if you're if you're utilizing some of these technologies to give additional support, in those maybe top areas of concern, that can be really a big value added for employees. Earlier in our recording, you you mentioned that employee benefit packages should include a mental health coverage of sorts. So you have some ideas on how to create employee benefits for healthy, happy workplaces. Can you give us some examples? Healthy and happy, that's like a big theme. Like if anybody goes on my website, they'll see that that's one of the things. It's kind of like our holy grail of, of what we're trying to uh, to achieve. Unfortunately, it's not a, a clear formula. Like it's not like a, a a clear path to that. Even if you have like really relevant and valuable plan in place. And of course, that should include, like I said, you know, mental health support. But I think that one of the bigger obstacles that I see um, that employers need to address if they want to achieve that goal is to one focus on communication. So making sure that the employees know that they have access to these resources, but then also avoiding not making employees jump through hurdles to access the care. So you asked about mental health, particularly. Okay. So an employee that's very anxious or that's going through a depression, it's already difficult enough for them to accept it, let alone build up the courage to seek help. Then if you have to fill out all kinds of paperwork or get referrals or be pushed from one department to another, if it's too complicated to access care, that's that's a hurdle. That's not going to help you achieve that goal of, uh, of health or happiness. So for me, one of the big things when we're striving for excellent plans is to remove those additional hurdles that sometimes exist in contract wording or in benefit plans. So you do believe that there are benefits that business owners can provide to make sure employees suffering from anxiety 
depression and burnout are uh, appropriately cared for, what are those benefits specifically? I would start with making sure that managers or anybody that's leading teams in the organization gets at least a basic training, like what I like to call mental health 101, um, because not to make them experts, of course, but just to open their eyes to some of the issues that employees could be facing so that they can recognize issues before they escalate and then refer employees to the appropriate resources within the plan. Mental health is one of those things that's not really so obvious. It's not like a broken leg. So we need to be extra alert. And sometimes just empathy can go such a long way. That training is becoming kind of really an important component to your benefit plans. But besides that, you know, obviously they need to have resources to direct the employees to. So you need to make sure that you have coverage for psychology at the bare minimum. I know that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is becoming really important. There's a lot of self-directed tools out there now that employees can access. So if they're not necessarily ready to be one-on-one with someone, they can go online and go through um, these types of trainings on their own. Employee assistance programs can be key because if you don't know where to turn, it's an easy way to just, you know, you call the hotline, you're placed with a social worker or a psychologist or other mental health professional that can help you. Um, And again, we talked about technology before, but there's a lot of vendors out there that are offering kind of virtual networks uh, that employees can access, but that are not focused only on psychology. They have kind of multidisciplinary teams that can help uh, an employee. So we talked earlier about the influence of, you know, getting proper sleep and our diet on our health. Well, with mental health, that also plays an important role. So, I mean, of course, there's many things that uh, can be done, but I'm seeing a lot more of variety in, in respect to the types of mental health practitioners that are becoming available to employees. And of course, a variety, a mix of, you know, in-person, virtual, telephonic, you know, different ways to access the care as well. Telemedicine has definitely become quite prominent since COVID-19, for sure. One of the challenges for small businesses, right, for even nonprofit organizations is the cost of those benefits, especially when you start talking about mental health benefits. Is this expensive? It can be, There's, but I would say there's options for every budget. So I wouldn't shy away from it altogether. I think that depending on your budget, there's going to be at least some options out there for you. So for sure, you can you know work with your advisor, your brokers, see what options are out there. But employee assistance programs are very inexpensive. I mean, of course, if you're offering unlimited access to an online psychologist, that's another story that can add up very quickly. But there's a big range. So that's what I'm saying is that don't be afraid to look into it. There's a variety of solutions and there can be that sweet spot for you and your business. So you say, uh, Gianna, that foreign businesses with small teams in Canada, because you are located in Canada, can get competitive benefits for their employees. How so? I mean, you mentioned, you know, different programs, different costs, anything else? The biggest myth I hear from businesses, foreign businesses, but also local businesses, is that they assume that they can't get benefits 
because they're, you know, quote unquote, too small. And, you know, I've heard this too small from different size businesses. So it's funny how people come up with this assumption. In Canada, you can actually get a, a really good benefits plan starting at two employees, even if those two employees are located in different provinces. Uh, you can have, you know, both the group insurance and the retirement savings component. The advice I would give is don't assume, get the information. I would say the bulk of the very small clients that we work with are actually foreign businesses, businesses that are, you know, globally much larger but might have just a small office in Canada or might just be starting out in Canada. And, you know, we're able to get them a caliber of plan that's comparable to what they have in other countries. I mean, of course, considering the regional differences, but if you look at kind of the philosophy and the positioning of, of where they're trying to be at, you can definitely get that in Canada with a very small team. So the healthcare systems in Canada and in the U.S. are quite different, as you well know. For one, Canada has a national healthcare system. What benefits are Canadian employees valuing the most compared to American employees? Definitely big difference. The healthcare system is, is kind of our big differentiator from uh, one side of the border to the other. For us, healthcare, what it covers is, uh, well, I would say public healthcare, what it covers is physician fees, uh, clinic, uh, you know, any treatment that's done at the hospital, diagnostic tests, so all of that, uh, primary care, I guess you would say, is covered under public health care. So for us, what we're looking for, us being Canadians, um, when we turn to employer-sponsored plans is specifically coverage for prescription drugs, uh, vision care, and dental care. These are the, the big ticket items. Uh, in fact, in a, a medical care plan, so in a healthcare plan, 60%, so the, the majority of the claims are related to prescription drugs. I think one of the, that's the one of the big differences, because I know that for some of my clients, what they're telling me about their plans is that, you know, in the US, people are looking for good coverage for doctors. So we, we have the luxury, I guess, of having that covered under the uh, public healthcare plan. So perhaps uh, this question is a stretch, but are there any kind of benefits that are often in Canada that could benefit American employers, or is that really kind of like two separate worlds? I know I would say that actually, for the most part, like if you're looking at the life insurance, disability, uh, you know, now critical illness is becoming really popular because it's less and less common that employees will die during their working years, but it is more and more common that they will be afflicted by a serious illness. So, so critical illness is becoming popular. So, I would say that. All those coverages, as well as the vision care plans, the dental care plans, all these benefits are very similar, structured similarly in the US. It's really the big difference is on the healthcare benefit. And I would say that anything related to mental health, like wellness in general, uh, even financial wellness is becoming popular. These are things that really can be useful across both sides of the border. So let's turn to HR now, human resources. What is the best way, in your opinion, for HR to educate employees on the value of their benefit programs? In fact, there's quite a bit of research in the U.S. about the fact that employees are not using many of the benefits that employers offer. Yes, I deal with that like on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's really such a shame because benefits are such a big investment financially for employers. Um, so of course, you want to make sure that you're getting that return on investment. And if employees don't 
understand or know what they're being offered, well, obviously, you're not getting that value. So for me, it's about communication, communication, communication. I'm repeating it three times because, of course, individuals were faced with so much information on a daily basis, and we can only absorb so much at a time. So it's really important to repeat and to be consistent. Um, of course, when you're hiring an employee, that employee is fresh. And so I would say probably they're at the peak of their um, attention. So the onboarding process is really important, but it's not enough to stop there. Throughout the employee's life cycle, you need to be uh, consistently talking about benefits and your plan. The other thing that I'm seeing is that a lot of the times when employers are sharing information about their benefits plans, it's full of jargon because we're repurposing a lot of the insurance company's information and that's normal, you know, but already if the employees kind of absorbing only a portion of of the information you're giving them, and then that's littered with jargon, it's going to be even more difficult for them to absorb it. So I always encourage my clients to try to generate to create uh, jargon free material, to make like little capsules, examples, screenshots, when we're trying to explain things, just make it easier for them to assimilate the information. And you can create themes and campaigns when you're communicating with employees to make it more fun and more attractive. The other thing I think that employers maybe don't do enough of is collect feedback. And there's different ways to do that. But I think that when you collect the feedback, then you can incorporate your findings back into one, the design of the plan, but also how you're communicating the benefits uh, to the employees. And I would also say that vary the communication methods. So don't only do in-person or don't only do email or don't only do. So try to vary the, the ways that people or that you're communicating the information. And maybe one last thing is that technology is great. And, you know, I talked about technology being a good thing to incorporate into the plans, but as vendors and insurers adopt more technology with obviously the hopes of making the plans more user-friendly, sometimes they are annihilating certain portions or of the employees because some of the employees aren't as comfortable with technology as others. So I think we have to not forget that, keep that in mind. And sometimes it might be necessary to provide some training just to help the employees kind of access their plans and, and better utilize them. Those are excellent points, Jana. Thank you so much for your valuable insights. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be able to get a better idea of what it takes for small businesses and nonprofits to offer benefit packages. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system, with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.